listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. And we look today in the book of Colossians. We see that Paul offers this blessing. I used it earlier as a blessing for the graduates, but it's going to be my text this morning, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And he offers these similar kind of words. When I heard of your faith, when I saw your good works, this is my prayer for you. And so graduates, as we come to this day and as you look forward to Friday when you'll actually graduate, and congregation in general, mothers, all those that we're celebrating and honoring today and in our, our congregation in general, as we come to this point, another Lord's Day, another week, the beginning of another work week, we come to this point and I hope that we can hear Paul's words for ourselves. When I hear of your faith, when I see your good works, this is my prayer for you. This is my blessing for you. I used these words as a blessing earlier, but they're going to be our text for today. Let me read them one more time for you. Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pause for prayer before we continue. Our God, this is your word. It is holy, it is inspired, it is infallible, and it is inerrant, and we bow our knee before it today. We submit ourselves to what we read here from the Apostle Paul as he wrote and as he spoke under the leadership and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. I ask that you melt our hearts this morning, soften our minds so that the Holy Spirit might come in with the word of God and change us from the inside out. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. It's common for Paul to open his letters like this. All except maybe the book of Galatians. Paul opens these New Testament letters with a word of blessing a word of remembrance. I've heard these wonderful things about your congregation. I've heard this, I've heard that. And so he offers these blessings. He offers these memories. He offers these charges to them before he gets into the meat of his letters. And so I hope that we today, as the congregation of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, will receive that the same way as it, in, it was intended for Colossians, the Colossians. Because it's not just to them. When we look at Colossians and Ephesians, they're very similar. And we see that Paul intended for the Colossian letter to be read to the Ephesians and the Ephesian letter to be read to the Colossians and other churches. And so we can look at this today and know, yes, Paul wrote this to the Colossians in that time, in that place, with a purpose and a goal in mind. But it also comes to us as the Holy Spirit brings the word with authority and clarity to us today. 
And so I hope that we will receive it as such. He offers them and us these words of blessings. And I want us to see three things from the simple text today. Three commands, three blessings. One, know God's will. Two, walk worthy of God's call. And three, trust God's power. So there will be things I say, and I might kind of help you understand what I'm saying when I say to the graduates something. But understand that this all is for all of us. This is the word of God for the people of God, not just the grads, even though I'm going to point some things directly at them. So number one, know God's will. Know God's will. Look at what Paul says at the beginning of this blessing. May you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now you know better than we can just start in the middle of a verse and say, that's where we're going to kick it off, right? Paul says at the beginning of verse 9, and so, from the day we heard, and so, therefore, Based on everything I've said to this point, now. What has Paul said? What has Paul heard? Look at what he says in verse 4 of the same chapter. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Now there's the basis for what we're going to see. I have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. I have heard of your love for all the saints. Now let me just take a, a step back and let the text speak for itself at this point. Those two go together, don't they? A love for Jesus Christ and a love for the saints. A love for Jesus Christ. You say, I love Jesus. I love the gospel. I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I don't really care for that church stuff, though. Oh, I have a relationship with God that's between me and him. I don't need to go to that place and be with those people. So many hypocrites. God tells us here that to say that you love Jesus but you don't love his people is a blasphemous lie. You cannot love Jesus if you do not love his people. And sure, loving his people is more than just coming to church. But listen, it is certainly not less than coming to church. You must be with God's people to love them to learn who they are, to learn their gifts, to learn their weaknesses, and not to condemn them in their weaknesses, but to lift them up as we fellowship together under the word in this place or whatever church you go to where you fellowship with other believers. You cannot say, I love God and I love Jesus without loving his people, the church. And that's what Paul starts out here. Since I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. We go back to this now. Since we heard that, verse 9, We have not ceased to pray for you. And notice the common element in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. What do you see? Since we heard of your faith, the hope that you heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, you received it, you understood it, you learned it from Epaphras who made it known. That's why we do this every week. That's why Pastor John does this every week. That's why we're doing it right now. We don't just come in here to emote and to feel good about ourselves and to say nice things about God. If we don't pause and ask God to speak by his word, we've done nothing. We must stop and listen for God to speak. Hear, understand, receive. Those are the verbs that Paul uses about Christians. That's what we do. We hear the word. We hear the gospel. We understand it. We respond to it. We learn it. Epaphras, somebody, a pastor, a teacher, makes it known. We explain it so that we all understand and come under the word of God together. Graduates, you've been under learning 
in an official sense for 17 to 18 years in a school, preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, high school. You come to the end of that official period of learning. But though the official process of learning ends right now, at least in the classroom, high school, before college, we understand as Christians that the learning process never ends. The studying process never stops. That we learn, we study, we receive, we grow even more and more and more and more and more throughout the Christian life. Don't miss the fact that Paul says that this faith is a faith of hearing and a faith of learning. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Salvation comes by faith, which comes by hearing the word of God. So graduates, don't stop hearing the word of God. As you move off, find a church immediately. That should be goal number one. Don't even think about making friends in your dorm before you find a church to plug into, to serve in, to learn from. Congregation in general, if you're not a regular attender at some church, this is a great one to come to, to learn, to hear the word of God. Plug in, learn, serve, and grow. We don't stop. The graduates don't stop just because they graduate. And we never stop as believers in the church of God. Know God's will is what Paul says. And knowing God's will is that first blessing he gives. May you be filled with the knowledge by hearing, by understanding, by receiving. The knowledge of God's will. Knowing God's will is sometime, sometimes a little easier than we try to make it. That knowing and following God's will, we try to make it into some sort of mystical, cultic type experience where we just sit and wait on God to open doors and do stuff. And all the time he's telling us just to go do something. There's a book by that title about the will of God. Just do something. And Paul says, may you be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And we stop and think, well, that's really hard. You graduates might be thinking right now. You know where you're going to school, at least right now. You know what your major is going to be, at least for right now. I mean, half of that's going to change. You have in your mind what your family is going to look like, where you're going to live, what your house is going to look like, what your income is going to be. And God has a way of just completely obliterating all of that in his will. And that's scary. And we stop and we think, oh, the will of God is such a scary topic. How can we know it? But Paul says, may you be filled to overflowing with the knowledge of the will of God. And we think, is that even possible? Is it even possible to know the will of God at any given time? Proverbs 3, 3 5 through 6 comes to mind. Trusting the Lord and letting him direct your paths. I think of a particular story in Acts 16. As Paul and the missionaries were, were trying to travel up into Asia. And God blocks it. And they want to go into Bithynia and God stops them. Now if you would have been Paul, if I were Paul, I would be discouraged, tempted to give up. God, why are you shutting all these doors on us? We want to go proclaim the gospel in Asia. God says no. We want to go do this in Bithynia. God says no. And God's pushing them over and down. And we would be tempted to whine and complain and say, oh God, why are you doing this? We're doing your will. Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't stop to complain or whine. He doesn't go to the synagogue and waste a whole week in prayer waiting on God to give him chill bumps about what he's supposed to do with the next step in his life. Paul goes on doing exactly what Paul has been called to do. 
preaching the gospel and making disciples. Let me tell you, it's that simple. Even as God is shutting doors and blocking these doors, Paul goes over. Lydia, a lady, is brought to faith in Christ. A Philippian jailer is converted. Luke, the gospel writer Luke, is brought into Paul's mission. And many of the cities we read about in the New Testament are reached with the gospel. Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth. And we see God's will unfolding even as he shuts and slams doors. See, Paul is guided in Acts 16 by the very thing that we seem to hate and despise. And that is hindrance. That when God shuts a door, we seem to think that's the end of the deal. And no, I don't think the cliche is right. When God shuts a door, he opens a window. That means you're trying to get into the same place, right? Maybe God shuts a door and shuts another door like he did for Paul. And he's not saying try to find a window. He's saying, you need to go down the hall somewhere else. You need to find another door completely that I will open for you. But in the meantime, while God is shutting doors and opening doors, do what you know to do. And that is the will of God. What if I told you right now, graduates, entire congregation, what if I told you right now that I can tell you God's will for your life as a believer? 100%, I can nail it. Go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That's the will of God for you. Do it where he puts you. Do it where he sends you. And even as he's shutting doors and blocking off exits and paths that you think you're supposed to go down, just keep doing what he's told you to do like Paul did, and he will lead you where he wants you to go. The great missionary, William Carey, thought he was going to go to Polynesia. God sends him to India where he spends the rest of his life, loses his wife, loses his own life, and changes the face of modern missions. Another great Baptist missionary, Adoniram Judson, thought he was going to go to India. Great subcontinent where William Carey had gone, where this kind of modern Baptist missions movement had kicked off in India. God sends him north to Burma, a much less friendly place. But there he prospers in the gospel and people are saved. And there are churches there to this day because of the witness of Adoniram Judson and William Carey. As they followed God wherever he led. Oh, how often we stop and complain about the blockades. And we pray for God to open doors that he has refused to open. And then we look for windows to climb in, almost to sneak into this thing that's not God's will for us. When God is saying, do something different, but all the while, do the thing that God has told you to do. Deuteronomy 29, 29, let the secret things belong to God. What does it say next? But those things that are revealed, those things that we know, that's for you. And it's for your children, and it's for every generation. Do the things that are revealed. Do the things you know, and let God lead in his secret, mysterious, sovereign way. It's Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, and it's mine for you, not just as grads, but as our congregation here. Number two, walk worthy of God's call. He says, may you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. should never stop and, and, and miss that detail, spiritual wisdom. What would fleshly wisdom have told Paul to do? To give up. To stop. What does fleshly wisdom tell us to do sometimes? To follow our own imagination. To follow our own plans. Grads, you hear me say this all the time on Wednesday nights. Sorry parents. Sometimes 
fleshly wisdom looks like listening to your parents more than listening to God when it comes to his will for your life. You think that Jim Elliott's parents had envisioned him going to Ecuador, successful, smart, likable young man, and he goes and seemingly wastes his life in Ecuador, speared to death before he's even able to open his mouth and preach the gospel to these people. Yet he obeyed God. There were surely many voices in his life that said, that's not right. You're crazy. You're throwing away everything. I imagine Elliot said, you're right. I am throwing away everything. Because in throwing away that which I can't keep, I'm gaining that which I cannot lose. Grads, do that. Congregation, do that. Think about the things that are above. Paul goes on to say that in Colossians. Think about the things that are above, not the things that are below. Follow God's will even when it leads you to places that you find uncomfortable. When it leads you to those conversations on the phone where your parents are going, um, I don't know about that. You kind of went to school for this and God's calling you to what now? I've been there, done that. Sorry, mom. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Follow God's will, spiritual wisdom and understanding and then walk worthy of God's call. Having heard the gospel, because of your love for the saints, as you're growing in the knowledge of the will of God and spiritual wisdom and understanding, so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What a weighty charge that is, isn't it? Scary almost. Paul commands them to walk in a manner that is worthy or fitting, not of the church, not of just the Bible, not of Paul. Walk in a manner that's fitting of God himself. And again, that sounds like one of those commands like know the will of God. Is that even possible, Paul? Every last one of us knows that we're wretched sinners. You said yourself, Paul, in Romans 3, not that they would have said Romans 3, you said yourself in the letter to the Romans that we're all fallen short of the glory of God, that no man is without sin. How then can you tell us to walk worthy of the Lord? I think Paul, Paul doesn't, Paul knows what he's saying. Of course he doesn't mean perfection. That, could be, that would be impossible. So what does it mean? To walk worthy of the Lord himself. And remember that this is for all believers. It's for those who have heard, who have received, and who have uh, believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he tells them to walk worthy of that call. Walk worthy of what you've heard. Walk worthy of what you've believed. Walk, walk worthy of what you have received from God in the gospel. In the Bible, walk is a continuous metaphor for living life. And we, we use it today. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. It's this idea of living life, walking through life. It's not literally putting one foot in front of the other, but it's putting one foot in front of the other as you live your life day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year. A whole lifetime of walking before the Lord. And Paul says to do it worthy of the call and the name of the Lord. Not as a means of earning your salvation. Not as a means of working your way up some sort of ladder of favor with God to where you're finally at last deemed worthy of him. That's not what Paul says, is it? You've already heard the gospel. You've already believed the gospel. You are already in Jesus Christ. Later it says you are already redeemed by his blood. Now he says, because those things are already true of you, 
There is no more acceptance to gain. You're already accepted in Jesus Christ. There's no more salvation to earn. You've already received it through the gospel. Now, because of what you have received, because of what you have heard, live like it. Walk like it. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, because of the mercies of God that have been poured out on you through salvation, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices. He doesn't say present your bodies as living sacrifices, therefore you are saved. He says because of the mercies of God that are already yours in Jesus Christ, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Why are we ambassadors for Christ? In order to be saved? Nope, because you are saved. Paul already said you're a new creature. You're a new creation. Now you are ambassadors for him. You are already cleaned, guiltless, redeemed, saved, and going to heaven. Paul is now saying, live like it. Walk worthy of the calling that you have as a saint and as a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to tell us a little bit more about this. Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I love that Paul latches on to that very Jesus-like metaphor of bearing fruit. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says, every good tree bears good fruit, every bad tree bears bad fruit. It's that simple, according to Jesus. If you're a good fruit, planted in the word of God, rooted in the things of God, with the people of God, in the church of God, serving God, Jesus says, that's good fruit. And good fruit comes from a good tree. We just mindlessly claim Jesus. We base our salvation on something that happened way back there, way back when, when I said this or did this or went through that or checked this. But there's no fruit in my life. There's no growth in my life. There's no maturity in my life. No, I don't want to go to church. Why would I want to go there? It's so boring and there's so many people and I have to talk. And I have to sit and listen to some guy rattle on for a long time from that old book. That's bad fruit. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. Jesus says, you know what happens to bad trees? There's nothing more for them than to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Good fruit comes from good trees. And Paul says that when you are walking worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life, you will bear fruit for the kingdom. Why do you think Paul latches onto that theology again in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, about the fruit of the Spirit? This is what it looks like to be a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control just can't help but come out of you because it's the fruit that God has planted within you. Walk worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit What's the basis of this, though? We've got to bear fruit. We've got to walk worthy of the Lord. What's the basis of it? What's the cause of it? How can we be pleasing to God and walk worthy of him? Look at the last part of verse 10. Increasing, then, in the knowledge of God. This is very different than a simple knowledge of God's will from verse 9, I think. I think it's different than a knowledge about the facts of the gospel. There will be a lot of people in hell in eternity who will, if asked, claim that they believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. They might even say he was the son of God. 
but there will be a lot whose lives were never, ever, 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 ever committed to him. They knew about Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. This is different than a pure head knowledge about God. Paul says this is a knowledge of God. A knowledge based on firsthand relational experience. This is contact knowledge. I have an experience with God. I have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. It's not just something I say with my mouth. It is something I live with my life. That is the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about. And as we increase in that knowledge of God, this intimate, firsthand contact knowledge of God, we will be pleasing to him. We will bear fruit. Now, let me also make a plug here, though. While it might be possible to know a lot about God without knowing him, It is not possible to know him without knowing about him. I've used this illustration before. If I claimed to love my wife, Jessica, but I couldn't tell you what color her eyes were or what her favorite food was or what kind of music she likes to listen to or that I must wipe down the bathroom counters before proceeding to sweep the floor. Amen. The silence tells me that that's like, oh wait, I've been doing that wrong. If I didn't know those things about her, I could never claim to know her. And so it's easy to hear words like doctrine and theology and to dismiss those and say, you know, it's just more important to know, to know God. And I would agree with you on the surface level, it is more important to know him than to know about him. But you cannot know him without knowing about him. And Paul says, be filled with the knowledge of God. That's the only way that you can ever hope to bear fruit. That you can ever hope to walk worthy of his call. That you can ever hope to know his will for your life. Grads, use your word, okay? You have much that you can be proud of this week, graduates. You have much that you should be proud of. That's shocking, isn't it? I'm telling you, you should be proud of some of your accomplishments. But you also must, here it comes, here comes the shoe, you all also must beware of pride. To everyone, watch out for boastfulness. Watch out for pride. We often like to pin this on the younger people. We say that youth and children and youngsters, they think they got it all figured out. You just think you know all the answers. And that's true to an extent. It's very true of me. I'm still... Young compared to our senior, senior pastor. You just think you got it all figured out now, you little young buck. Here's a warning for you, though. It can happen when you're older, too. The youngster might say, I don't need to be taught anything. But the old person might say, I don't need to be taught anything. Not you can't teach me, but I just don't need it. I've lived on this earth for 70, 80, 90, 100 years. You can't teach me anything I don't know. I think the Bible begs to differ with that. Increase in the knowledge of God. And that is a command that does not stop when you reach retirement. It's it's a special command for our graduates today, but it's a command for all of us. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, God says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. 
But if you're going to boast, boast in this, that you understand and know God. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast in your diplomas this week, grads. Don't boast in your accomplishments, congregation, your careers, your successes, your prosperous journeys in life, your houses or land or money or notoriety or fame. But if you're going to boast, boast only in this, that you know and understand the Lord. Increasing in your knowledge of him and walking worthy of the call that he's placed on your life. When you uh, go to Disney World, my Disney illustration of the week, you encounter a cast member at Disney because they don't call them their employees, right? They're cast members because they're, they're part of the production, okay? It's the Disney difference, right? That's why you go to Disney, not Universal. They have four keys to being a Disney staff member. I just said staff member. Disney cast member. Four keys. You got to learn these. Safety. Courtesy. Show and efficiency. Pretty self-explanatory. These are our four keys to being a Disney cast member. If you're going to work at Walt Disney World theme parks, anywhere in the world, you're going to work at Disney theme parks, you've got to know safety. First and primary concern is the safety of the guests and their families. Number two, though, is courtesy. I find that very interesting, that's second in the list. Courtesy, politeness, helpfulness, a smile, a little touch of Disney magic. Number three, show that you make sure wherever you are, whether it's in the opening door where they go into the thing or they're at the exit door where they come out of the thing, you make sure that your area is show ready. That it's not just an exit door, it's a portal back to the Magic Kingdom. See, that's how it works at Disney. Number four, efficiency. I think that's great that that's fourth in line. Above all things, safety, courtesy, show, and then worry about Efficiency, In other words, helpfully, politely moving people from one place to the next in an efficient way. And this Disney says if you're going to work for us, if you're going to be in our parks, if you're going to represent us, you must agree to and practice these things. And that's why we remember those experiences. That's why you go to Chick-fil-A and you say thank you and they say my pleasure. And you say that was very nice and we'll bring the food to you and we'll bring this to you. Can I get you a refill? That's why we remember those things and know those things because they're representing their company well. Jesus says to us, and Paul is saying here, walk worthy of the Lord, increasing in the knowledge of him. Go into the world and represent me well. Walk worthy of the call that was placed on you when you were saved. In other words, you put the Chick-fil-A name tag on, you act like Chick-fil-A. You put the Disney name tag on, you act like Disney. When you put the Jesus name tag on, you act like Jesus. This is what it means to not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Isn't that interesting? It's more than just blurting out his name as a curse, though it is that. It's more than just saying it when you stub your toe on something. This is literally taking up the name of the Lord, putting the name tag on yourself, taking the name of the Lord, and wearing it in a vain and useless way that does not represent him well. And Paul says, don't do that. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. These aren't the, the four keys to the show at Disney World. These are the spiritual fruits that show that you belong to God. And it's how we walk worthy before him. Number three today, trust God's power. Trust God's power. I love these final verses, starting in verse 11. 
Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This also is very common for Paul. I told the grads this yesterday looking at the end of First Thessalonians. Thess- Thessalonians, I don't know why that word's being hard for me lately. First Thessalonians, we see this kind of pattern for Paul. There's this list of uh, do's and don'ts and imperatives and commands. Know God's will. Increase in the knowledge of God. Walk worthy of God. Do this. Don't do this. But it's immediately followed up by this assurance that it is God who's going to give you the strength and the might and the power to do what he has already commanded you to do. Case in point, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Two of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, making you willing and able to do that. I find that so wonderful in the mystery of God's plan of salvation. Here we see it. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then we come to verse 11. Be strengthened with all of his power and all of his might. He's the one that's got to do it through you. Yes, you must obey. Yes, you must hear. Yes, you must listen. And yes, you're responsible, but it is God who must give you the strength to do as he commands in the first place. St. Augustine said it wonderfully, Lord, command what you will. Command what you will. Tell us to do whatever you command us to do. But he follows it up with this. And then grant what you command. You hear the grace in that statement? Lord, command what you will, but then grant what you command. Walk the life, live the life, run the race. But remember this, it's all him. This walk to glory that we're on as Christians is a long, arduous path. Many obstacles, many temptations, many valleys. Graduates, where you are now is not an end, but a beginning. I told you that at the baccalaureate practice Thursday. From now on, you quickly get catapulted into real life. We think just to pull through the basics of real life, we need this endurance. But Paul says his prayer for us is that we have endurance, not just in real life after graduation, but in the Christian life from beginning to end, when we see Jesus in glory. We need endurance and we need patience. We have to look to something else that gives us the strength and the wisdom and the endurance and the patience to carry on. It's why the author of Hebrews says, run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And notice the end result. It's joy. Be strengthened with all of his power according to his might, with all endurance and patience, with joy. Sometimes as Christians, we think about perseverance or endurance as just getting through, just trudging through. You come to prayer request time every Wednesday night or Sunday morning or whenever we do prayer requests in Sunday school. Well, I'm just getting by. I'm just getting through. And that might be true. But Paul says to endure and to persevere, not with grumbling and complaining and whining, but with joy. And what else can joy come from except what he's about to say in verse 12? 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has qualified you. Just to take that phrase for a second and just sit on it. God has qualified you. The Colossians were being threatened with a false teaching. The false teaching said Jesus plus some extra stuff equals true salvation. Yeah, you got to have Jesus, but you also have to have this other stuff. And that's what it means to truly be saved. And these people would disqualify the Colossian believers based on what they ate or what they drank. We have it in our own community, don't we? Disqualified as a true, real, full Christian. Because the day you worship on or what you eat, Paul says, let no one disqualify you because God has already qualified you. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus said it is accomplished. It is finished. It is done. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else needs to be added to what Jesus has already done for you in in the gospel, through the cross, through his resurrection. So that no one can say, yes, it's Jesus plus something. No, if you got Jesus plus something, you actually have nothing. A famous theologian author once said that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is what Paul is saying here. You have already been qualified to what? An inheritance with the saints in light. You have everything that you need to live this Christian life because God himself is the one that has qualified you. Graduates, hold on to the gospel. I can't say that enough. You're going to hear that so many times before August or June, Jeff, when you leave. Hold on to the gospel. Believer, all of us, hold on to the gospel. Graduates, you've had to take many tests to this point. Thank you, no child left behind, right? Many, many tests, many projects, many late nights, many deadlines. Application after application, scholarship after scholarship, endless activities to load up on that uh, that application. And for each of you today, you've received that accepted verdict because of your qualifications of which you and your your parents and I are very proud but when it comes to your soul graduate believer when it comes to your soul Paul says that we've all fallen short if it was up to your qualifications what God declares you if it was up to your qualifications there is no acceptance The verdict is guilty each and every time because you have failed the test of God's holiness. But here's the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. It is God who sends his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pass every single test that you fail every single time. And to take your burden and your failures and your sin and your corruption and your rebellion to the cross where he killed it and then buried it and came out of the tomb without it. And he offers you that resurrection 
empty tomb life that says it has been paid in full, it is finished, and you need add nothing else. Your qualifications would amount to nothing before the holiness of God. In fact, Isaiah says they're nothing more than garbage before the holiness of God. But Jesus' qualifications speak on your behalf before a holy, righteous God who then declares you innocent, not because of you, but because of Jesus. And that's the gospel to which you must hold on to. And it's the gospel that Paul points us to. It is God who has qualified you. It is God who has transferred you into his kingdom. How did he do it? Through the redemption that comes through the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2, 1 says that you're dead in your trespasses and sins apart from Jesus. You just mindlessly follow the course of the world. You mindlessly follow Satan around as he is your Lord and your leader. But then in verse 4 it says, but God has raised you up. He has given you new life. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. And you've been united to Jesus Christ by faith. And then Paul says in Colossians, now walk in him. You have this wonderful backstory that is calling you to live for Jesus. Now do it. The inheritance is yours. The blessing is yours. Life is yours. Now walk worthy of it. Paul says, once you belong to the kingdom of darkness, now you belong to the kingdom of his dear son. To the redemption that brings the forgiveness of sins. I told you that Ephesians is very similar to Colossians. And in Ephesians 1.7, Paul says something very similar. He says, in him, that sounds familiar. He says, you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. That's great. But in Ephesians, Paul adds a little inclusio there. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins. Seniors, listen to me. If there was anything for you to boast in, you're going to walk across the stage Friday, and they're going to say your name, people are going to clap for you, your parents are going to embarrass you, you're going to take picture after picture of people that are very proud of you. You're going to go to wonderful colleges and universities and graduate schools and advanced degrees. And you're going to have a successful career, many of you. You're going to have a wonderful family, many of you. You're going to do great things in this world. But whatever it is that you do in this world, listen to me. One day, it's going to all burn. And there'll be nothing left. You might be on a plaque somewhere in your school, your university, because of something you invented or something you did or the money you made or that you were on TV. Who knows what it is. But one day when Jesus returns, the glory of his might is going to just melt it all and nothing will be left except what you did for him. So if you're going to boast, if you're going to boast, boast only in the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from your sins. Your diploma won't mean anything when he returns. The school you went to, as wonderful and lofty and notoriety, worthy as it is, will mean nothing when he returns. But there will be one thing we sing about forever and ever and ever. In Revelation 5, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign in the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from your sin and qualifies you to be in the kingdom of God. 
God. Not your diploma, not your acumen, not your academics, not all the many programs you've been through. Believers, it's the same thing for us. It's not your degrees, your advanced degrees, your career, your family, your houses, whatever it is that we like to boast in. It's nothing more than the blood of Jesus Christ that qualifies you. And it's nothing more than the blood of Jesus Christ that we will sing about forever and ever and ever and ever. Paul says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death. And resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Walk worthy of that. Increase in your knowledge of that. Live for that. Our God and our Father, we thank you that you have qualified us with the inheritance that you have given your only begotten Son, Jesus. You have blessed us. And so we bless you in return and we say thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the blood of your Son that redeems us from all of our sins, that qualifies us to rule and to reign with you as a kingdom of priests, as your people forever. Help these graduates this day as they never have before to latch on to your will. And help us all today in this congregation, believers and unbelievers alike, to hear your call. For believers to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ by increasing in our knowledge of him, by bearing fruit for the kingdom. For unbelievers today, Lord Jesus, that they would hear the call of the gospel that says, come, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And by your Holy Spirit today, prick their hearts, change their hearts, turn them to Jesus, and bring them to faith and repentance, even as we close our service today. We ask all these things 